it went straight down the middle. Then it started to fall. Welcome to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And Bruce Devlin, as you know, all major sports we've come to know have famous numbers. And so if you think about it, think about basketball, Michael Jordan. What comes to mind? 23. You think about baseball. Our guest knows this guy from the Bay Area, Willie Mays. What do you think of? 24. You think about hockey. What do you think of Wayne Gretzky, the greatest of all time? 99. 99. Well, Bruce, today (laughs) our guest is known by a number as well. Well, he's known by a number and he's known by something that you eat and he's known by his regular name, but it's Mr. Skippy, Mr. 59, the great and wonderful 1966 PGA champion, Al Guyberger. Bones is the other name that he has. Uh, I got several names. That's right, you do. We welcome you, Al. Thanks for joining uh, Mike and I today. We're really looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, it's been a while, Mike, and nice to join you, and let's have some fun. Well, let's do it. And, and Al, as we've talked about, we're here to tell your story. And the way to do that is we got to go back to the beginning. So my understanding is you were born in Red Bluff, California. I know that's up near Redding on the five. Uh, why don't you tell us tell us a little bit about early life growing up in California? Yeah, Red, Bluff, Red Bluff's right at the top of the state. right? On. And the only reason I was born in Red Bluff because my parents lived in Los Molinas. Now, you really have to look hard for that one. It was a small town then, and it still is. And uh, and so I was born in Red Bluff, which was 30 miles or 40, I don't know, uh, miles away. And then uh, at about two years old, I moved to, two or three years old, moved to Sacramento. My dad was became a farm advisor. He was an ag teacher, uh an ag teacher at, uh, at Los Molinas. Actually, my parents met at Oregon State. My dad was an ag engineer, and my mother was home ec, home ec and then they got married, and that's where they uh, moved to Los Molinas. That was their first teaching job. They were both teachers. And then my dad got uh, a job in Sacramento, which is as a uh, Farm advisor, which most people don't know what they are. They, as they say, advise the farmer. And that was a big deal then. And, uh, and they each had specialty because Sacramento is a big agricultural center, the whole valley is. And so uh, I didn't know or appreciate all that then when I was there. But uh, then we moved to, the, in, still in Sacramento, another other end of it, but that's where my golf started. We we moved next to a nine-hole course called William Lamb Park, and I lived. That's where I learned to play golf. Then grew up, and we moved to Santa Barbara when I was fifteen, uh, and that's when I met Chuck Schwab. Uh, I mentioned to you Chuck Schwab. Yeah, uh, he and I were both played at Montecito Country Club together there. Yeah, well, we'll we'll talk a little bit about your connection yeah. there because I know you played high school golf with uh, with Mr. Schwab, but uh, your parents were were both avid golfers and they got you started pretty young, didn't they? Yes, they uh, started me very young. I think my mother said, and I did dawn on me what it was, but I I think I came along as an accident, kind of late. 
And my mother said she wasn't going to give up any more of her golf, and so she would drag me out to the golf course. <laughs> so I started, as soon as she could get me out to the golf course, I, I guess I was there, and that's where I picked it up. <laughs> well, you were, Al, you were a very quick learner because uh, our, your record shows that when you were eight years old, you won a 12 and under tournament. That's pretty fancy. Right, I did. Uh, yeah, the 12 and under at William Lamb Park. Yep. That was kind of like Sacramento City. Uh, we didn't have too many courses there. And uh, yeah, the 12 and under. But I was out there when I was three or four, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, Al, if you were like many of our guests, they talk about growing up on a little nine-hole course. Most of these courses didn't have irrigation, didn't have necessarily a golf pro. Most of them didn't have sand traps. You kept your own shag balls. Does, does that sound familiar? Yep. You've hit them all. <laughs> I definitely had my own shag bag. Uh, and you marked your own balls a special way so that we can get mixed up with everybody else's. And uh, it was a nine-hole course and a lot of kids. We hung around there all summer. That's all we did. Uh, it was kind of like Sandlot, the movie Sandlot. We were the golfing version. We we just all hung around the golf course there and uh, and played golf. And uh, my kids, when they got older, got tired of playing a certain one course, 18 holes. I said, wait a minute, I grew up on a nine-hole course. <laughs> and I went around and around that thing, and like you mentioned, agriculture, the, uh, they wouldn't plant, the no grass in the rough, so it was hard pan, because Sacramento gets pretty warm yeah. summer, and I knew how to play that course down the hard pan, and all the little tricks to it, they, <laughs> you didn't know it, but you're learning stuff at that time, but uh, that was just the way we figured out how to play the course. So you talk about a shag bag that you had, somebody <laughs> told me... Somebody told me that you marked your shag balls a different way to most people. How did you do that? Uh, you mean with fingernail polish? <laughs> That's what I meant. Well, it's hard. To, we didn't have Sharpies or anything like that then. I, somehow I used a little little bit of fingernail polish. <laughs> I didn't know you knew that. Yeah, I think that's pretty cute that you did that, really. <laughs> So you you, you kind of were s split with high school then, Al. Much like me, I spent two years in one town, moved and went two years and played on another team for another high school. You had the same experience in Southern California, didn't you? Yeah. See, I played um, high school golf in Sacramento at C.K. McClatchy High School. And then, uh, then my dad was transferred. He took over the whole county of Santa Barbara. And... Uh, uh, and I went to Santa Barbara High, and they didn't even have a golf team. But we knew we had a bunch of players. They all played at uh, Montecito Country Club, or or they caddied at the Valley Club. So we had a we put together a team of either the high school kids that played at Montecito or the caddies from the Valley Club, and we put together a team and. Uh, Nobody would play us in L.A. See, we're about two hours from L.A. Yeah. in Santa Barbara, and we'd have to, we had to, we could come down there and play them, but they wouldn't come up and play us. So we had to get in a big old station wagon and drive down there every week. And we really had a good team. Uh, another guy scored, he and I were about one and two. We were very equal, and Chuck Schwab was just under that. He was our third man. 
and then uh, and we had some good bottoms. So we cleaned everybody that, that we could play. Anyway, they wouldn't let us go Northern California or anything like that, but we won everything. But, and then the second year, uh, the other guy, the uh, Tom McFadden had left, so Chuck was probably my partner. We were one and two, and uh, so we spent a lot of time together. And he stayed in golf for a long, long time, still heavily involved, particularly here at Colonial. Oh, the joke is uh, he wanted to go in and play professional golf, and this is what I tell people. It's not true, but uh, <laughs> I told him, no, why don't you go into finance and I'll play golf? <laughs> anyway, that's quite a success story. He, Boy, yes, isn't it? Yes, it comes circles around. I won at Colonial twice, the Colonial Invitational, like you, and uh, uh, and the players, and and now Chuck is uh, that's his tournament. Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me, one in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf. And that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Pan and Shepard as we dive into them. Insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you-had-to-be-there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about Malbatross? Plus, he does. Uh, he spends a little bit of money on the senior tour as well. And the senior tour. And I didn't get out there. I didn't... The, that didn't really come about until I'd kind of phased out. I don't know. All that money. You left all that money, Bones. I left it all, yeah. Well, look at nowadays. Jeez. We left a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we were fortunate, though. We, uh, we, you know, if you think about it, uh, all the guys that we played with, we, you know, we were friends with all of them. You know, we wanted to beat the hell out of them on the golf course, but... You know, nine times out of ten, you'd be out having dinner with three or four of the guys, and the wives would be there. You cook, you know, do barbecues, whatever. I mean, it's a little different game. We had, I remember, a Pleasant Valley. Remember the motor yep. lodge there? They, yep. All the families would stay there, and we'd have the big barbecue. The whole motel was filled with players, it felt like. And we had a big barbecue, and all the families, and all those kids now are grown up. They're all up in their 50s. But, yeah, I know. I got one in the 60s. <laughs> uh, we did a little different way. Uh, yeah. Then, but. Well, just, you know, you mentioned the money, Al. I'm sure you and Bruce have seen just what they're paying this week at the Tournament Players Championship. I think back in 74 or so, when uh, Jack probably won the first one in Atlanta, $50,000 was first prize that week. I won the second one. At I know Columbia, you did. And that was 50000 Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And they're paying what this week? I tried to divide that up and multiply it out the other day. And I said, uh, that's grown a little more than the economy. Uh, yeah, a little more. 
<laughs> I'd say so. Yeah. So you, you had a good co- uh, high school career, uh, finishing up in Santa Barbara, uh, playing at, as you say, Montecito country club, which I think is there along highway one, isn't it? Yes. Um, one one. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get to play Burnham woods? Was that around too? I know that was across the street from. They built that. That came along later. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Burnham woods. It's funny, you know, Burnham wood. <laughs> well, I know it's right across the street from the Valley club, right? Right, yeah. And the Valley Club is a lovely Mackenzie. The Valley Club is the, uh, that was the high end. That's why I say we, the rest of our team were guys that caddied at the Valley Club. And Chuck and I went out and caddied at the Valley Club a little too, but we were at Montecito. And then they built another course on the other end of town, La Cumbra, which, uh, well, that's a, his, that's a story itself. That was the third building of it. In other words, every depression or war, it closed. <laughs> and it, it's a very nice course. So tell us about the progression then to college, because you spent a couple of years at, at uh, Menlo College before going on to USC, right? Right, yes. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't quite sure where I was going to go. I wasn't really a great student. And so I ended up at Menlo College, which is a private, was a two-year college then. Uh, so I went up there for two years and then uh, went uh, transferred down to uh, USC. But that was quite an experience, yeah, USC and being a Southern California. So I kept working, started Red Bluff, and then uh, Los Molinas, Sacramento, Santa Barbara, on down to LA. <laughs> now, I'm out, now I'm out in the desert, out in Palm, Palm Springs area. Yeah. So you played for a pretty well-noted coach at the time, Stan Wood? <laughs> yes. He, that's another story in its own. Uh, he was a writer for the Mirror, golf writer for the Mirror News. Uh, and they asked him, he was friends with the athletic director at USC. And I think I needed a golf coach, so he asked Stan to be the coach. And then the rest is history. Stan was for years and years the coach there and a legend. Uh, we got a lot of stories about Stan because uh, nowadays they're so strict on alcohol and everything like that. Stan Wood used to take us to the bar or or bring <laughs> cases of beer to our room. He said that way he knew where we were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said that way I got to know my know my team real well, and I knew where they were when we were on a trip or something. Or we'd finish practice, and we'd go by the bowling alley and have some beers. And of course, I didn't realize it, but I wasn't even old enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right near Rancho, Bruce, you played there. Yeah, Rancho. yeah, sure did. Right up yeah. the street was Rancho Lanes Bowling. I'll be done. <laughs> huh. But Stan was a uh, big influence, a great guy. Everybody loves Stan. Uh, And then the Mirror News folded, so he was basically a coach. And then he took care of a lot of media for tournaments. Uh, He began to realize LA Open and different tournaments needed uh, help with the media. I mean, getting getting the newspapers there, whatever, whatever needed to be there as part of the media, that was his job. He's, he was a pretty good uh, recruiter as well. He, he he coached some pretty good guys that went through their college. There's Stadler and Stockton and Scott Simpson and a right. bunch bunch more. I mean, a lot of really good players. 
Yeah, a lot of a lot of good players uh, came through there. Uh, Stockton followed me. I never, Dave and I never played together because I graduated and Dave came in. But right after that, yeah, uh, Stadler, like you said, Scott Simpson. Gosh, who are we forgetting? There's so many. Even Roger Cleveland, Cleveland mm -hmm. Golf. He played on, on the golf team at SC. And so the two uh, Rhodes, Rick Rhodes, who right. uh -huh. played on the tour a little, but eventually became the head pro at San Francisco Golf Club uh, for many years and retired. And Ron Rhodes, his brother. Right. Yeah, we can go on. I know we're leaving out a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. Al, uh, while you were at that school at USC, you you got to do something that not too many young players get to do, and that's to play in the LA Open three times. Thank you, as you when you were at college. Yeah, you're right. I, I did play three times. I was low amateur twice, and then it was a big deal because they took care of the amateurs at the LA Open. It was kind of they still keep the tradition going a little bit. In, Used to be, uh, used to be much better and uh, uh, bigger. And the juniors, we got to uh, college players, we got to play. And my claim to fame, my senior year in college, I finished fifth in the LA Open. I hope I'm remembering that right. I tried to look it up the other day and I couldn't find it. You did, and I was paired with Arnold Palmer the last day. Uh, That's right. And I think I beat him, but I'm not, the story sounds better that way. Wasn't the last time you beat him either. <laughs> <laughs> and that was at that was at Rancho. Al, you were able to you were captain of that team at some point at USC, and as they say, uh, oftentimes in life, you're always trying to keep up with the Joneses. But back back then, you were trying to keep up with the Houston's. Yeah, that's. One of the reasons I went to USC because we knew all the good juniors and where they were in college, and so we tried to do our own stockpile. And Bud Bradley, I don't know, did you ever know Bud Bradley? And uh, no, Bob I didn't. McAllister, you knew Bob. I'm yeah, sure. sure did. Yeah, very and, much so. Uh, they were already there, and then that, then a, a very good player, Bobby Howe. He was he was uh, LA City champion, very good player. He never did turn professional, and a few others. And we thought we could go after Houston, but I guess we choked. We finished third. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty good team they were. And then it was like the, we finished third. That was the best. And then it was like the curse of the Bambino. Uh, SC finished the best they could ever do was third for 30, 40 years until they won a couple of years. Finally, won the uh, the NC2A a few years back, but it took a long time. <laughs> girls, they didn't even have a girls team, and they actually formed the girls team several years after I left, and they even ended up winning the NC2A several oh. times. <laughs> they had some really good, they have some good teams at SC. So tell us about the transition going from Santa Barbara to, you know, let's say two hours south down to USC. You're kind of in la-la land down there, Hollywood and so forth. You you got to play a little bit about at Lakeside, didn't you, which uh, featured a few famous celebrities? You did. You're right. I uh, people I did play with a few others, Bel Air and Riviera, and I didn't realize 
you know, I happened to hit on some of these celebrities, but Lakeside is where the celebrities were then. And I used to go out there and play a lot. Uh, tennis, uh, one thing in particular, Tennessee Ernie Ford always live uh, televised his show every Thursday night live. And he wanted to play golf with me every Thursday. So every Thursday afternoon when we could, I'd, I'd go out and play with Tennessee Ernie Ford. Not many people remember, but he was a great guy. Sure. But there were several celebrities at uh, at uh, Lakeside. That was kind of their club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it sure was. Uh, so, just take us through for our listeners the decision process you were going through as a, I guess, a college senior at the time, thinking about eh, maybe I want to do this full time for a, as a profession. <laughs> well, remember you didn't make much money then, so it was. I when I finished fifth in the LA Open, that was my last year at USC. I uh, I decided, to, you know, hey, maybe I can make it on the tour. Uh, that was kind of the turning point that I I realized I didn't know. I didn't know how buff these guys were going to be nowadays. Remember how skinny? Well, Bruce, you're skinny too. Yeah, I was. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. I was. <laughs> yeah, Bruce and I, that's where the bones comes up. That's right. Yeah. He and I together wouldn't weigh 300 pounds. That's Can right. you believe that? Both of us about 6'2". And weighed about 145 to 150 pounds. Right. I was 150 pounds, yeah. How did you guys play in the wind? Hit our balls low. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we didn't know any different. <laughs> so were there any in early influencers from the professional ranks that you sort of patterned your game after or maybe were influential in your early career? Well, my earliest but we didn't have television when i lived in sacramento was byron nelson how i picked byron because i didn't really you didn't have tv or anything i don't know but people said i looked like byron or swung like him i guess that's how i did it but as i got further along a, a guy named gene littler came along and i got to go physically watch gene play and he became my my next idol. I told him every once in a while, Gene, you were my idol, and he would get upset because he's probably like five or six years older than me at the most. And I said, you were my idol. I, I tried to copy, emulate your, your game. But, uh, so I'd say Gene was, was probably, and Bruce is very familiar with Gene. He is a beautiful swinger of the golf club, had fantastic rhythm. Isn't it? Probably the... Probably the best of all of them of that era, I think, as far as uh, control of the golf club and beautiful time swing. He was great. He was. He, he had a simple swing, and my, my being tall and thin, I don't know, some reason I realized I had to keep my swing simple too, and so I tried to keep it as few moving parts, and that, that, that was one of the good decisions I made. We we all made a lot of bad decisions on the swing. <laughs> Nowadays yeah. they they have it all proven right there on the screen. But isn't that amazing? Bruce and I had to go up a lot of dead end streets. Uh, Twenty years yeah. later, we'd find out that that information 
we got from somebody else was wrong. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't so good, was it? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a team, though, Bruce, didn't we? The rest of the players were our teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We had plenty of teachers back in those days. Yeah. They all you had to do was walk on the practice tee. You had three or four of them right. help you. <laughs> and they all share information. Those are our teachers. Yeah. No. Uh, no. Uh, our psychology. Uh, yeah. They all have a team now. We didn't know what the hell. We were lucky to find a caddy in the parking lot that <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that we could handle all week. There you go. <laughs> Al, I remember Lanny Watkins telling us that that his uh, psychological coach was the bartender in the in the hotel he was staying at. Typically, yep. Yeah, <laughs> the the bar was attended several times in most of the hotels. I, That's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, who was involved in that decision at age twenty two to turn professional? Oh, I guess I was. I guess I was Stan Wood. I. Bring back Stan Wood, yeah, yeah. Yep. and Stan. Uh, he he really we got along really well, and he he found me some sponsors, and uh, I didn't even have to look for him. He he you know, he knew everybody, so he he had some sponsors for me. Uh, um, George McAllister, which is related to Bob McAllister, and Art Anderson. Do you? Bruce Maynard. My member, Artie Anderson, I sure do. The two of them owned a golf center in Studio City, and they sponsored me. That was my. <laughs> yeah, Artie Anderson was. I played a lot of golf with him, actually, at Riviera. Yeah. Uh, he, was a, he was a good buddy with uh, with my partner at the Crosby, Dean Martin. He, so we'd, we'd go out there and play a little bit of golf together. Of course, we didn't gamble and yeah, we never no, had a I'm drink. Sure. No, no, no. <laughs> Of course not. <laughs> so, Al, at some point, I guess you realized you weren't going to use that psychology degree, huh? I, me, or, or yeah. Bruce, the plumber. He no, he you. Plumber more than... <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't have a psychology. I was business, whatever. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know. Somewhere I picked up the fact that you had a psychology degree. A few nights ago when the Hall of Fame, they met, they brought up the Charlie Sifford Award. And when I was at SC, I was in my business degree. One of them, I had to work in a retail store for six months or something. So I worked at this store right across the street from the campus there. And Charlie Sifford came in one day. And he goes, hey, man, I hear you're a good player. Hey, let's play someday, you know. And he was really nice <laughs> to me. Uh, and you know, little did I know what Charlie was going through. I didn't, you know, I'm a Boy. California guy. I didn't know everything he'd, he'd gone through. So then uh, he was very nice to me. Here I'm behind the counter working in the store. <laughs> Life on tour was a little different back then. Uh, in a lot of ways, you talk about the money. You talk about uh, uh, whether people like uh, Charlie Sifford were as welcomed as they probably should have been on tour. There are a lot of a lot of differences than from today's game. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. It is. It and it all gradually grew so slow you didn't realize it was happening. Uh, you know, it, uh, uh, just I was so many things. Look at caddies. Caddy, you and Bruce, you and I, we used to find our caddy in the parking lot, right? Yeah. The caddies waited in the parking lot, or whoever you could find. 
and uh, and nowadays the caddy is uh, that's a big job. That's a big deal. But, uh, yeah, you hear as much about the caddy as you do the player, <laughs> actually. Well, there was a point there when a few players started caddying, you know, 20, 25, 30 years ago. And I, re- I thought that was kind of strange, but I could see now what it's evolved in. The guys that didn't quite make it on the tour started working in either teaching or, or, uh, or caddying or whatever. And then the psychology, your team, your psychiatrist, your, uh, we, yeah, we just, I talked to Bruce, Bruce had talked to me. And so we had a lot of valuable information. <laughs> so after turning pro in 59, Al, it didn't take you very long to uh, break through and win. First victory, 61 Utah Open. That was a, you know, that's a pattern that we've seen in the history of these players. They turn pro. Uh, they go out there and sort of learn the first year, and bang, they win the second year. It's happened to a lot of the guys we've spoken to. They miss the first year, but they win the second year. Yeah, you're right. I uh, I turned pro while back then yeah, the PGA of America had you had to wait six months to to uh, receive money. Remember that stupid rule? Yeah. And uh, so when I got out of college, if I went in the army, we had to go in the army then. Uh, I could wait my six months in the army and come out and play the tour. Well, by the time I got out, the PGA of America changed the rule. So it, it, it did no service, but so I started playing the tour in 1960. Uh, and you're right. Yeah. 61 Utah open. That was a non tour event. A friend of mine who was a basketball player. He was, became a coach. That's it. At USC. Uh, Jerry Pym, he uh, he was a coach up there and a big golf advocate. He he got them to invite me to the Utah Open, and I and I ended up winning that. Won it. <laughs> That's good. I think they still play that course once in a while. Hard to tell, but uh, yeah, that was an unofficial. But uh, Gary Player, he counts any tournament as official, so so I can add that to my <laughs> right. official event. That was an unofficial event. Well, we can recap for our listeners the official events. I'll just, uh, for our listeners, tell a little bit about uh, Al's career. He had uh, 30 professional wins, official wins, that is, including 11 wins on the PGA Tour, one win on the Japan Golf Tour, and 10 senior PGA Tour wins. And as uh, Bruce had alluded to earlier in our opener, uh, the, the highlight, of course, the 1966 PGA Championship, which we'll talk about in a bit. And uh, let's go to that first official win then, which was 1962. It was the Ontario Open Invitational uh, at Whispering Lakes Golf Club by one shot over five others, including Bob Golby, Bob Dickinson, Tommy Jacobs, Chuck Rotar, and John Rudy, I think is how you pronounce his name. I didn't wasn't familiar with that name. Uh, yeah, I remember Stan Wood came out on the 18th hole and he said, he, he had several names for me. Fruhoff was one of my names, uh, cause I was like a load. Uh, oh, that's another story. But anyway, he came out and he said, part of this hole, otherwise there's going to be a seven way playoff. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was at Ontario Whispering Lakes which was the uh in Ontario there and it had a the ponds for the 
cesspools. So <laughs> we called it West Springs <laughs> cesspools, but uh, that course is still there, still functioning. Uh, hmm. People think when it's Ontario that I won the Ontario Open. That they they don't know it was Ontario, California. Yeah. Did it feel? Did it feel like a home victory? I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, pretty close to home. Yeah. We go back and look at those yeah. older courses we played. We really played on anything we could. They could. We could get on that. And uh, yeah, and it, believe it or not, though, like I said, that course is still there. Then sixty-three L. The uh, Alameda Open Invitational, uh, and you beat a pretty fancy player, Dutch Harrison, and also uh, a buddy of yours, Dick Lutz. Yeah, Almaden Open. That's uh, when I went to Menlo College. We'd play a lot of matches out in outside of San Jose, out in the valley there, and that's where Almaden Country Club. That's now known as Silicon Valley. That whole valley was nothing in it when we played there. And look what happened to Amazing. it. But I won the – they had an off-tour event, which we used to have several back in those days in the fall. And I won the Almaden Open one year and then came back as a tour event the next year and won the Almaden Open. I remember what the Silicon Valley looked like without a house or anything on it. It was Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about your back-to-back success at Firestone, starting with the 1965 American Golf Classic, uh, the South Course there, where you won by four over Mr. Palmer. For some reason, I played Firestone good. Uh, I guess a par was a par, and Bruce and I didn't hit it far enough that, that we were hitting long irons. Remember those <laughs> days, hitting two irons? I do. Now the guys yeah. hit wedges on every hole there, but... Uh, just about. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, I played really well there and won by four, and I shot 280. That's four over, 70s, four yeah. over par. And I uh, won by four. And then I came back the following year because the PGA was played there, and I ended up shooting the same score, 280, and winning by four. Did I? Are, have you got stats in front of you? Are they right? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got I, it, baby. I was going to say we'd take your word for it, but no, we know better. That you absolutely shot 280 both years, and uh, I think uh, the first win at Firestone wasn't that when you became sort of known for your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah, that's uh, years when I first started on the tour. I I don't know. I went to the doctor one day, and I said, "Man, I get so nervous and jumpy, and I don't know. I must have been up, been feeling well." And he did blood tests, and he said, he said, you have low blood sugar, and you need to take all this protein powder. I would take thermoses with protein powder. And he said, it used to be if you had low blood sugar, you had ate candy or something like that. The other way around, you build yourself up with protein. So I started carrying things in the bag. The thermos, I didn't like that big old thing in the bag. Or the caddy didn't either. Uh, and uh, at the American Golf, uh, the week before the American Golf Classic, PGA was at Laurel Valley. That's where Dave Barr won. And right. I was paired with Arnold Palmer there. 
and I was getting ready to, I was in the first two rounds with Arnold, and I went, oh my gosh, I'll never be able to get any food at any, you know, the food wasn't very handy, and they didn't leave any on the teas or anything, and so uh, my wife was making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for my my little three or four-year-old daughter then, and I said, hey, I'm playing with Arnold today, make me one of those, and I'll just put it in the bag, and that was history, I, I Took it out there, ate half of it one nine and half the other nine. I said, wow, this is it. So I went to the next week, and I used using the sandwiches, and the press got wind of it. They saw me. Uh, yeah. They got wind of the peanut butter and jelly. They thought it was so unusual and so, you know, weird <laughs> that I was doing that. And the next year when I came back to Firestone, they were ready for me. Cameras, everything were, you know, they were watching me take a sandwich out of my bag. They thought it was such a big deal. And it was amazing. Years after that, many guys carry some version of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, really, it's yeah. about the best thing. I used to tell people you could, if you didn't eat it for three days, it still was good. <laughs> your cat, your <laughs> caddy could sit on your bag and smash it. It still was edible. Uh, well, it was there really you go. One of the few things uh, when I have to nowadays, I don't get out very often, but uh, I'll make sure that I have food of some kind, and then that that's, that's I still do the same thing, and and a lot of people, uh, players coming down the road, when I hear about them eating peanut butter and jelly sandwich or peanut butter and something, I went, wow. I started that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And from that came a few endorsements, oh, right? Yeah. When I won the PGA, they were they were pro media made a big deal about it. Yes, right. And then I signed a contract with Skippy. There's one of my names, Skippy. Yeah, right. And I was yeah. with Skippy for a, I don't know, twenty twenty five years. Isn't that great? Now does does one of the does one of the head covers behind you have the peanut butter and jelly uh, logo on it? Oh, oh, what? There is a head cover. My son, my son, he's in the kind of the clothing end of golf a little bit too, playing and everything. Alan Jr., but he made up these head covers, and they stitched in there sandwich, uh, a peanut butter sandwich with peanut butter and honey. With peanut butter and uh, jelly in it, and I've had more people like that head covers. I end up giving them. Oh, you like? Okay, you can have. Now I'm down to like two head covers. I had five. Uh, now I'm. I don't know. Would you get them to to make some more because it had little sandwiches all over the head cover. That's not in the picture behind, is it? I don't think. No, that. I. But I've I've seen a I've seen another photo of you with that. There was a bag of clubs with that head cover in the oh, background. Yeah, I right. have seen that. Yeah. So it's a cool looking yeah, head people cover. People say, "Oh, I love that." Can I? I've had people. Some person will come to me for somebody else and say, "My friend, he would do anything to have one of those head covers." Oh, okay. So, and then, okay. now I'm running out of them. <laughs> but uh, that's funny. Yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, spread the word, and tell your friends. Until we tee it up again, for the good of the game, so long, everybody. 
whack down the fairway. It went smack down the fairway. Then it started to slice just a smidge off line. It headed for two, but it bounced off nine. My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay. Yes, it went straight down the middle, quite a way.